0: I want to welcome all of you across the network, whether you're here at Rock Island, joining us from our Bettendorf campus, one of the men at Keewanee, or just tuning in online. It's great to be with you as we launch week two of our Won't You Be My Neighbor series, which is really just a journey into understanding neighboring. And with the help of Reverend Fred Rogers, who for 33 years really worked hard to make sure children knew they were loved and valued, valued even as they processed real world issues, we're journeying deep in understanding what it looks like to be neighborly, to love your neighbor. Fred Rogers made a huge impact for generations, especially as he called people into kindness and other things like that. In fact, we're reviewing and screening a documentary tonight right here at the Rock Island campus. I want to encourage you to come and be part of that, 6 o'clock. It's an opportunity to spark some conversation and go deeper in our thinking. It's really an opportunity for us just to dive deeper in our conversation around neighboring, and I hope to see you there. But even as we get ready to do that, I think we all know and recognize that things like kindness and civility and empathy and hospitality, they're not what they once were in our culture. They're kind of waning. And those are actually things that Fred Rogers invited people to step into, but they weren't just his values. They're actually the values of Jesus. They're things that Jesus calls us to. And this series is designed to help us live into that. We kicked it off last week by looking at kindness. It was a great place to start, great series launch, and it's been fun this week for some of you to send me pictures and videos and quotes. In fact, one of the pictures I received was of a knickknack that just simply said this, kind people are my kind of people. That's clever, huh? I like it. But as we saw last week, listen, kindness matters. But we also saw when we choose to be right over being kind, we're wrong. When we choose to be right over being kind, we're actually wrong. And we've all kind of messed up in this at one point or another. We have withheld kindness or we have been unkind. There's just a space that we have to own and acknowledge. We, we don't always get this right. In fact, it was the little brother of Jesus, whose name was James, who wrote something that captures this reality in James chapter 3, verse 2. He said, indeed, we all make mistakes. We, we've, all, we've all swung and missed We all make mistakes, but then he goes on to put some framing to it. He says, For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. And it's like, mic drop, boom. (laughs) Because we know we we struggle to be kind, we struggle to be neighborly. I'm going to tell you, it's worth it to fight for it, it's worth the effort. To, to be someone who demonstrates kindness, to be someone who steps into being neighborly. So we're building our conversation today off of the conversation we had last week in kindness. And if you missed the conversation, totally okay, you'll be able to track today's conversation. You can even get online later and catch up to what you missed. But we're, we're building off of kindness as we unpack civility. Civility. And we're going to do it by understanding what it is. We're going to talk about the dynamic around it then we're going to dive deep into Scripture so we can understand how and what it looks like and then have a very simple practical application in a tool that I want to show you. So that's the plan today. Are you up for that? Two of you are. Great. Are you up for that? All right. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's dive right into just understanding civility from a definition because it comes from a Latin word, civilis, which means citizen. But when we understand civility, it's really more this, relating to public life befitting a citizen. Now, that's a great place to start because we are not only citizens within a nation here, but if we walk in with Jesus and we follow him, we are citizens of heaven, of his kingdom. Citizens of a nation here on earth, but also citizens of heaven. And it's important to understand what it looks like to engage in behavior befitting a citizen both here and there. So civility is a context by which we can understand it. And, and civility in the earthly context is expressed this way. in formal politeness and courtesy in behavior or speech. It is essentially choosing to be kind and gracious, to be uh, respectful, to have good manners towards people around us. Even if they are not reciprocating that, even if they're not kind to us, we are kind to them and show them regard and demonstrate good manners in those spaces we actually end up demonstrating the the synonyms of of civility, of courtesy, politeness, good manners, uh, chivalry, gallantry, graciousness, consideration, respect, and gentility. These are the things that form and shape what civility is. This is what it means to be a good citizen. And we're called to be good citizens. Civility is required for us to be able to live into that. Now, I want to just invite you to sit back for a moment and think about places and spaces in our world that lack civility today. There's lots of them. Just maybe think of one. Just a space or place that lacks civility in our world today. Maybe you're thinking about politics. And it shows up and you can even start, start to see it brewing and bubbling with the early presidential candidate debates. We see a lack of civility in places where there's government and people, where authority is applied to individuals. That's often a place of a lack of civility. It shows up in protests. Protests can be about all kinds of different subjects. Where have you seen a lack of civility in the world today? You might be thinking of the roadway. (laughs) Anybody ever been a victim of road rage? Yeah? Anybody ever committed road rage? All right, put your hands down. All right, listen, there's a lack of civility even on the road. Even in sporting events, there has been a lack of civility on the playing field, but actually increasingly we see more of a lack of civility in the stands with the fans. We can all think of spaces that lack civility, but one of the common dynamics in all of it is that it kind of starts with a, with a lack of respect that communicates a lack of value that leads to a lack of civility and ultimately a lack of peace. See, when we have a lack of respect and we have a lack of listening, it positions us to hold a lack of value. And then a lack of civility, which leads us in a place where we end up with a lack of peace and a lack of good citizens, both here and, and there. See, when we started this conversation in kindness, the invitation in that discussion was, was that kindness was not just about letting people do what they want. Kindness is seeking the good, what's right and good and true for the other person. And so whenever we interact with somebody in this world, we choose to pursue someone, and we move towards them, wherever they're at and who they are and what they're doing, we do it on a a foundation, we do it on a platform, and we should be doing it on the platform of kindness. We can be kind by, by what we say, and we can be kind in what we do practically in that space. The reality is we should approach from a posture and motive of kindness. However, the people we approach have their own platform. They have their own motive in that space. It could be they just want to be seen or heard. It could be they just want to be understood. It might be that they want to win in that interaction. The reality is we can approach out of kindness, but somebody has their own space in response to it. On top of that, there are very real dynamics that individuals face in life. And we may be interacting with somebody who's dealing with pain. They've experienced a hurt or maybe they're, they're wrestling with fear, where they're, they're actually afraid of something or someone or some dynamic. They, they could be just simply insecure, where they're struggling in who they are and who people are around them. They, they could be tired, they, they could just, just be stressed out. They, they could be hangry, huh? Huh? hangry and, uh, hungry and angry, and some of you are getting elbowed right now. Stop that, people. Yeah, hey, pe- people have realities here, and whatever that reality is then pushes back on us, and we've got a choice how we're going to respond. See, it's, it's inevitable. When we interact with people, we will bump into an issue. It may be a subject that we just disagree on. It may be something that offends us, hurts us, some other complexity. There, we're going to bump into issues, but, but underneath the issue is motive, and our motive should always to be kind should always be to be kind. We saw that last week. Jesus calls us to that grace and mercy. But then there's also the motive of the other person, which can vary. Then when you add into it just the simple realities of their life, they're hurt, they have fear, they're insecure, they're angry. The reality is that, that reality starts to shape our reality, and we've got a choice how we're going to respond. When, when we step into a space and we offer kindness... And it's rejected. We offer kindness and it's not reciprocated. Well, now what? What do we do? See, this is the space of civility. It's really understanding how we remain civil in conflict. Because civility is not the same as kindness. And kindness is our approach. Kindness is our motive. Kindness is the the thing we're trying to offer. Civility is the context by which we can offer that kindness. It's the left and right limits of the dynamic. And we don't always control or have influence of what is being brought in from the other side, but we can certainly control what we do. And when we offer kindness and it's not reciprocated, what do we do now? Issue, motive, and reality are all factors to consider in if we're really going to be civil, how we remain civil in conflict. And quite honestly, it's inevitable we're going to end up in conflict. But the issue, motive, and reality, if we don't understand how that works, can get really complicated really fast. And make it almost inevitable that there's going to be a fight. Civility is not just simply kindness. It is the context by which we can express kindness. And any time we're willing to embrace civility, we add value. Any, Any interaction with any individual, civility brings value. Without civility we devalue people when we choose to embrace a lack of civility we're actually prioritizing an issue or a moment at the expense of people and that should not be we should be adding value into every context but civility like kindness has a reality attached to it that when our primary goal is to is winning we're already losing When it comes to civility, like kindness, when our primary goal is winning, we are already losing. When our goal is to win, we've already lost. We will never win if our goal is to tear down. We win when we add value. Our goal should not be to defeat. We don't win when we defeat. We win when we honor the inherent value of those involved. A friend of mine recently said, you can win a debate, but you can't win a conversation. Let me say that again. You can win a debate, but you can't win a conversation. That's good. Because when our primary goal is winning, we are already losing. So let's get into scripture now and see what the word of God has to say about this. And if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of James chapter 3. James comes after the book of Hebrews before you get to 1 and 2 Peter and First, Second, Third John. So we're going to be in James chapter 3. You can use your note guide or screen. But we're actually reading something that the little brother of Jesus wrote. So think about that for a moment. This is the little brother of Jesus. And he was someone who lived in proximity to someone who demonstrated civility with perfection. <laughs> I don't know if he struggled with that. I don't know if he had insecurity around that or jealousy. I don't know. But what I do know is he brings clarity into how we navigate spaces with civility. And, and especially how it relates to the tongue because as we already saw, as he said in verse 2 of chapter 3, that kind of matters. So let's take a look at this. This is James chapter 3 starting with verse 3. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a, small, is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself." Whoa, (laughs) how is that? as a way to start your day. But listen, it is true, yet hard. What he's saying is true, but hard. Countless conversations could have gone better, could have landed differently if we just would have controlled our tongue. If we just would have held back from saying that thing. It's like my grandmother used to say to my brother and I, and maybe your family said it, if you don't have anything nice to say... Don't say anything at all. Yeah. Listen, words matter. Our words can trigger good things or bad things. Yet we struggle to communicate. We, we actually struggle and miscommunicate a lot. We, we struggle to understand and to be understood. And we get into spaces where we disagree. But I'm going to tell you, if you're going to be a person who embrace, embraces civility, you have got to understand a simple reality. That disagreement doesn't equal opposition. Disagreement doesn't equal opposition. Too many people in our world think that they're equal. They're not. Too many people hear somebody disagreeing and they think they're inherently being attacked and that that person is oppositional. That is not the case. That is not how it works. You can be attacking and you can be oppositional, but simply disagreeing is not being oppositional. I'm going to tell you, if we're going to reduce disagreement to simply being oppositional, We are losing the value of the conversation. We are losing the value of the person. And we're losing the value of the topic. Disagreement doesn't equal opposition. If we think it does, we lose the value of the conversation, the topic, and the person. Disagreement is just disagreement. If we get that reversed and backwards, we end up where issue and motive and reality drive too much of the train. And we fight. But I tell you, disagreement doesn't equal opposition we can actually choose to uh, agree to disagree amicably we can remain civil if we can control our tongue so that takes us back to James let's jump back into this into verse 7 and what James has to say because James says people can tame all kinds of animals birds reptiles and fish but no one can tame the tongue well nuts that's not good But let's keep reading, my friends. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who are made in the image of God. I don't know about you, but guilty. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. What we communicate verbally, or even non-verbally for that matter, can create a lot of problems, a lot of complexity. But something that we all know that I think James is hinting at in this is the reality that we can't take back our words. We can't take them back. At best, we can hope to recover part of what's been lost or part of what has been damaged. But we can't take them back. Once we throw them out there, they're, they're out there. The best we can hope for is to recover a portion of what was lost, or hopefully they didn't even hear us. My my youngest son Daniel, he's hilarious, he's, he's been funny since he was a little kid and he, it's often just little little comments off to the side, sarcasm, he's just hilarious to me. But he's developed this thing where he'll make side comments alongside a conversation that may or may not have anything to do with the conversation, but if you hear him and you think about it, it's funny. So we could be having a conversation and he'll say something like, uh, that's not what I heard. and. And in, what he and I have done is just developed a rapport We're in that space, I'll look at him sternly and say, what? And he'll look at me surprised and go, what? As if he didn't say anything. It's just a hilarious moment for us because we both know he said something. And sometimes, I, most often, I know what he said, but he'll say this side comment. I'll go, what? He'll go, what? And like, that's the end of it. Don't you wish we could do that in other conversations? We're cruising along. Somebody's talking and we say something and they go, what? And we go, what? And that's it. No, we can't do that, though. We can't take our words back. Once we throw them out there, they're out there. So one of the primary ways that we get to avoid regretting what we say and even avoiding careless comments is to back up and understand what James said two chapters earlier in chapter 1, starting the verse 19. Check it out what he said. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all, say all, all. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger does not produce the justice God desires. That word righteousness speaks to justice. And most often when we're popping off, we're trying to bring justice to injustice. But human anger doesn't bring the righteousness or the justice God desires. Listen, it's pretty clear. There's... There's one quick and two slows in this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's pretty pretty sound advice. One of my instructors in the military told us repeatedly, he said, God gave you two ears and one mouth, act accordingly. (laughs) Roger that, will do. That's good advice. Because we really should listen twice as much as we speak. We really should, but we don't. If we would listen twice as much as we speak, we could avoid problems. We can avoid the tongue causing things we wish we could bring back that we actually can't. But not just avoid problems, we can actually be a better human being. We can be a better citizen. Because when we're willing to listen longer than we speak, to be intentional in listening first, well now we communicate value to the other person. And God sees that. And God sees it. And anytime we step into space and do what he calls us to do, he's pleased. He's pleased. And verse 20 tells us that there is actually, it implies there is a way to please God. And being quick to speak and quick to anger, but slow to listen, is not it. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's the space that we develop and hold to a righteousness that pleases God. And it is possible. Now you would be saying, okay, uh, that's all well and good, but what does that look like and how do we do it? Well, that's great. Let's let's talk a little bit about so what. What what does civility look like? Because civility is not just being soft or weak. Civility is not just being nice on the outside. (laughs) Civility actually is anchored in a very sincere internal desire to seek the good of the other, the good of all involved, even the one opposite of us. See, one of the dynamics in this diagram that makes civility hard is that we tend to enter it in an us versus them perspective. That it's us versus them, that it's you, me versus you, that it's I versus thou. That's not where civility can take place. What we actually need to be doing is fighting for and working towards we, where it recognizes the value of both individuals, both parties, everybody involved, that we're more together. It's we. And it's we apart from issue, motive, and reality. And we're not letting issue, motive, and reality define it. We're actually prioritizing the value up front. Now, that's not always easy to do. It's hard to do. But it's worth it. I actually saw an interview with General Mattis recently. Uh, He's the former Secretary of Defense. And it was in a talk show, and, and he was talking about the greatest threat to our democracy. He said that the greatest threat to our democracy is a constant state of division and disunity constant state of division and disunity. He said that democracy and elections are about dividing. But once the election is over, the system should move to governance. We, together. However, he said, we instead live in a constant state of division looking for what we can cheer against. What we can rally against. Unfortunately, he's right. until we're willing to value we over us and them, until we're willing to prioritize adding value over being valued, we're going to struggle as a people. We're going to struggle to be good citizens. Now, I realize as I say all this, we can look around the world and other people and and think that that the idea of creating spaces of civility is almost... Impossible that it's hopeless. There's so much brokenness in the world and the way people interact that it's not possible, but I tell you it is. Just like kindness, civility is possible by the Holy Spirit. Just as we can be kind, we can be civil. We, we can be quick to listen and slow to speak. We can control our tongue, but it's by Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that we get from God through Jesus. Let's just go to what the Holy Spirit provides in fruit in our life when we allow Holy Spirit to do that. It's things like love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. My friends, these are the things of civility. In some ways you could say this is the biblical explanation of what civility should look like. Forbearance, patience, self-control in that moment of tension and conflict. This is civility and this is what Holy Spirit provides. And and it's possible. And in some ways, what civility is, is kind of like the fertile soil that allows us to offer to others what Holy Spirit gives to us. It's beautiful, but I'm gonna tell you it's costly because not everybody stewards those things when we offer them. They don't always reciprocate, don't always return. It can be costly to live out of that posture, but we do it out of a posture of following Jesus and we need Jesus first. We need Jesus first to get Holy Spirit, but we need Jesus first because we need him to help us maintain these things in the spaces where it's not reciprocated, where it's not returned, where the realities of their life are pushing back on the things we're inviting into that space of civility. But civility is possible. It starts with you and me. It's our choices because civility is a choice. I don't care what your dynamic is, the moment of the conversation, civility is a choice. It's one that we can and need to choose. Every conflict and interaction is a space to be civil. Apart from the issue, apart from the motive, and apart from the realities connected to it, it's a space to choose to be civil. But we have to choose it. Every time we interact, With another human being is a space we get to choose who we will be. Who we're going to bring into the dynamic. We can't control what they're going to bring into into the dynamic. But we can control what we're going to bring into the dynamic. We can decide. And when we decide well, it positions them to decide well. If we decide poorly, it is highly unlikely they will decide well in response. But when we decide well, we make it easier for them to decide well. We create the space of civility. The left and right limits of living out kindness and mercy and grace in that space. But we have to choose it. It's a choice apart from issue, motive and reality. And it's always an option as a choice. And every time we choose it, it recognizes value. Civility recognizes value. I already alluded to this, spoke to this, that civility regards and respects the inherent value of everybody involved. Them and us. By creating a space for we. One of the other things that General Mattis said in his interview He identified the traditional motto of our nation, which is e pluribus unum. You familiar with it? It, it, That was our de facto motto for many years until Congress approved in the mid-50s, in God we trust, as our official motto. But e pluribus unum means from many, one. From many, one. From us and them to we. That's beautiful, but I'm going to tell you, as you know already, it's broken in in our culture. Until we're willing to embrace civility, we're going to struggle. Until we're willing to choose civility and to add value in any dynamic, our nation will struggle, our relationships will struggle, our communities will struggle. E pluribus unum, from many one. Whenever we encounter an injury, a slight or an offense, or, or maybe you, you just struggle with a short fuse, short fuse in your world, I want you didn't know that that's not God speaking right now. I don't know what that is right now. <laughs> We're going to roll. So here's the deal. Whenever you encounter a space that you need to, you're struggling that, maybe you have a short fuse, the deal is you can learn to manage through those spaces by the Holy Spirit. You can be slow to anger. You can control your tongue. But the moment we throw out civility, the moment we cast civility aside we lose spiritual sensitivity. The moment we choose to step away from an expression or a fruit of Holy Spirit and say, I'm not going to offer that. I'm not going to embrace that. The moment we step away from embracing the fruit of Holy Spirit, we lose spiritual sensitivity. I implore you to seek to stay spiritually sensitive. Because no matter what interaction you're having, God wants to do something in it. And whenever you encounter any dynamic, any space of any kind with any person, whatever the issue, motive, or reality is, there are only two questions to ask in that space. As you think about and figure out how you're going to respond, two questions. The first is, what does God want to do and what does the other person need? What does God want to do? Not necessarily what we want to do, hopefully we want what he wants, but what does he want to do in that space? And what does the other person need in his eyes? Not necessarily in their eyes or even ours, what we think they deserve, but what they need. We can ask the question, what does God want to do and what do they need? Now we're positioned to make progress in a dynamic that can be complex because we can make progress in a, in a place of tension, maintaining civility. We can move forward as, and still retain value. And keep the person whole. But we have to make a choice to do that. See, we can debate and we can vote, but then we need to refocus and live together. E pluribus unum. That's not always easy, but it's always worth it. And it's who we're called to be. It's, it's what we're called to do. In fact, we saw last week what this thing involves is what Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 3 where we're to be someone who loves other people, being compassionate and humble. But then he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. This is the what of civility, which gets us to the how. So how do we do this? How how do we live as a person who embraces civility? I want to encourage you to stay watchful for conversations that need it. There's a lot out there. But instead of when you see that conversation that's getting tense, instead of reverting to fight or flight, which is often what happens, we either fight it out or we run away from it, to recognize there's a greater opportunity, and the opportunity is to add value, to choose to add value. And one of the primary ways we can do that is to separate the person from the problem. When you get into a conflict or a tension, you have an issue and you're wrestling with motive and realities. separate the person from the problem. We, just as we can separate disagreement from opposition, we can separate people from the issues. So we can actually take a posture where we don't say, hey, you are the problem. We say, hey, we have a problem. And we move from us and them to we. And it invites collaboration to solve. It's a huge difference to say we have a problem, then you have a problem. And if we can't separate the people from the problem, then issue and motive and reality get really blurry. And we struggle to work through it in a civil way. But civility provides that left and right limit for us to navigate it if we can separate the people from the problem. Then it positions us to seek to understand more than to be understood. And this might actually be the more difficult thing for many of us, to seek to understand more than to be understood. We can listen in conversations lots of different ways, but most people tend to listen to respond. Most people tend to listen to refute, not to understand. Very few people listen to understand. Because we want to be understood. I get it. I understand that. But if we're going to be, ma- be mature, if we're going to be mature in Christ, certainly, we need to be willing to seek to understand more than to be understood. And when we can understand, even then it creates a better pathway for us to communicate in a way where we can be understood. But we have to first seek to understand, to, to understand more than to be understood. That takes work. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. S- but it's worth it. So be present. Listen. Listen. Listen, listen longer than you speak. Hold your tongue, wait for the right moment, right space and time to speak. You you can win a debate, but you can't win a conversation. So choose the way you're going to engage. Listen for what God is doing in that space. Listen for what he wants and what's needed. I'm going to tell you, what he wants is never to defeat the other person. It's to win them. Win them to him. Maybe win them in the subject, depending on what the subject is. But more importantly, win them to Jesus. And with a lack of civility, we do neither. Be willing to seek to understand more than to be understood. That that means being present. And when that space gets tense, when the other person starts to just build up a bit, don't join that dance. I had somebody once say to me, that when that tension's building, head up to the balcony, look down on the dance floor before you get all swept up in the dance and go tit for tat create this space for meaningful interaction. Emotions are a really hard thing to, uh, to, to, to find civility in. Emotions drive so much. And if you find somebody in a conversation where their emotion's building, they're ramping up and they want to go on a ride, let them go on a ride. Don't get in the car with them. <laughs> wait for them to come back around to the space where you can have meaningful interaction. Be willing to wait and hold the space between what is and what can be. That's one of the major tasks of civility. Hold the space between what is and what can be. Again, though, That's hard work, it takes sacrifice, but it's always worth it. You know, one of the other things about how we do this is really understanding ourselves. And I I want to introduce you to a tool. A a tool that will give you some semblance and idea of how you naturally respond to conflict. This tool is called the Thomas Kilman Conflict Management Instrument, or TKI. And I don't have time to get into all this. I just want to give you a cursory look at it and invite you to go do your own research and homework around it to understand how you navigate and handle conflict naturally. Here's how this thing breaks down. There there are two uh, X and Y axis. You have have an assertiveness here and a cooperativeness here. It starts low and moves to high. starts low and moves to high. So high assertiveness is our willingness to seek our preferences at the expense of others. High assertiveness. High cooperativeness is our willingness to to prioritize the preferences of others over our own. So what ends up happening is there are, there are five styles that show up where people naturally land. First is avoiding or avoidance. This space is, the, is kind of low cooperativeness and low assertiveness, and it really just kind of avoids the whole thing. It doesn't really get to the real issue. It's quick, and it's easy to get to, but over time it's problematic. It takes that posture of like, if we just ignore it, it's gonna go away. So it's easy to fall into, but it doesn't, it gets really, really hard over time from here. We can move to competing. Competing is that high assertiveness where we prioritize our preferences at the expense of other people. This is really quick. And and it's even appropriate in emergency situations where somebody needs to make a decision. But it comes at the expense of the other person and the other interests, and it often builds resentment over time. This space of accommodating is a space that acquiesces entirely to the other person. And it may seem very generous in the moment, but it isn't always healthy. It creates a win-lose dynamic. And we may even drift into compromising here. We think, well, we just kind of split it down the middle. It's 50-50, we cut the baby in half. And that may feel right, but I'm gonna tell you it's most often not the healthiest best outcome because it doesn't seek the best outcome. It just seeks something that's fair or equal. When we get to collaborating though, or collaboration, This is a space that actually works creatively with the most potential for right outcomes or best outcomes. My question for you is, where do you naturally go? Where do you naturally land up in a conflict or tension? And more importantly, where does God want you to go? Because he's trying to communicate what he wants and what's needed. Those are the questions that we seek to answer to know where he wants us to go in a space at any given time. Where do you naturally go? It's important to consider that. Most of the time, collaborating positions us with high results. But it takes work. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. But often good fruit comes from that. It's important to know where you sit. And and quite honestly, I realize we've all made mistakes in this. Maybe you've made a mistake in anger or, or the tongue or maybe just lack of civility. If that's the case for you today, repent of it. Talk to God about it, but then actually go and reconcile with the person. If it's appropriate and possible, go reconcile with them. Own it with them, but then create a pathway forward, an invitation forward. The righteousness that God desires includes civility. Civility shows them they have value. Civility positions us with the opportunity to make progress, with it, but, but still retain the value of people involved, to keep them whole. It's important, but it's a choice. I came across a quote from JFK just this week. He he says it to citizens of a nation, but I think it really does apply also to citizens of heaven. Listen to what he said. He said, Let us begin anew, remembering on both sides that civility is not a sign of weakness, and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. Let both sides explore what problems unite us instead of belaboring those problems which divide us. That's good counsel, For people of one nation, it's also good counsel for people who are citizens of heaven. Civility shows others there's value. It's a space by which we can make progress and still retain that value. But it's a choice. My prayer is that you will take that step in choosing civility. Despite issue, despite motive, despite reality. You'll choose we rather than us and them. I want to leave us with uh, the last bit of what James says in James chapter 3. Because what he's actually talking about is being a good citizen. Being someone who brings peace into all kinds of dynamics. If you have your Bible, you can track with it. We might throw it up on a screen. But I just want to read it from here and show you how it connects into this dynamic. This is James chapter 3 starting with verse 13. It's not in your note guide. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth of boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But listen to this, verse 17 and into 18. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is peace-loving. It is gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. My friends... Let's be citizens of peace, peacemakers who bring peace into the context of civility, choosing it, seeking to add value, seeking to understand more than be understood. And whenever God creates a space for us to do that, may we be bold enough and courageous enough to hold the space between what is and what can be, to hold it, but hold it in the power of Holy Spirit for His glory. It's a choice. My prayer is you will do this this week and in the months and years ahead because it matters. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who not only calls us to the things we're talking about, you're a God who models them, who shows them to us. You have been kind to us. You have demonstrated civility to us. You have demonstrated forbearance and self-control and love and peace and patience and gentleness. And I am grateful. I pray for my friends today who maybe need to do a little bit of reconciling with you that they will have the right conversation about what you want and what they need in their life from your perspective and they will step into relationship with you through Jesus but I also pray father that you would help us to understand where you want us to lean into relationship differently and into a space of civility despite the issue the motive or the reality to be a people who actually seek to understand more than to be understood who who are able to separate people from the problem And who choose civility and choose to add value. So there will be opportunities. I pray, Lord, you would give us the opportunity to understand when those are and to step boldly into them. So even as we go back into worship through song, may you continue to speak and lead for your glory. We love you. We pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.